Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. We're in week two of Empires Volume 3, part three in a study through the book of Romans. In this message, Pastor Andy McGowan is going to teach on how faith in Jesus alone is core to the Christian life. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome Kenosha City Church to another Sunday. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Yes. And we are back in Empires, Empires Volume 3. This is our study in the book of of Romans, and it, we are going to keep on going through chapter by chapter. We opened up a whole new section last week on the nation of Israel. If the gospel is going out throughout the whole world, just what we saw, it's going out right now all throughout Africa, all throughout Europe through your generosity and your partnership. Uh, Paul asks an interesting question. Well, what happened to the people of God, meaning the nation of Israel? What happened to them? Did God bypass the nation of Israel. And so this is what we're going to talk about specifically. We talked about last week, chapter 9, 10, and 11, all right? Now, the capstone, let's go back to the South Africa for a second. The, the capstone of the Lead the Cause event was going door to door, down the streets of the township just outside of Johannesburg. Uh, we taught the students uh, during this conference, uh, we taught them why they need Jesus, you know, sometimes we take the gospel for granted. We, we feel like, okay, I know I need this, but why? Why we need Jesus? What the gospel is? We taught them why. We taught them what the gospel is. What are the elements of the gospel? And then how to share it. Now, it's not just enough to know something, to know the, the, the what, the, the why, and the how, but we need to go do it now. And that's the capstone of this event is in this context we went door to door i think in our context the now is is the workplace it's our schools it's our neighborhoods it can be door to door as well too but it's not exclusively that in fact i would say going door to door is probably uh, the least of what you do in your everyday life because ministry occurs most powerfully in the context of relationship wouldn't you agree church so we went door to door and down the streets and uh, they went out to share their faith and it was awesome but it was scary. And it wasn't just scary for the students. I'm going to be honest. It was scary for me. In fact, sharing your faith can be a scary thing. Even for people that are in ministry. Because you realize that when you share Christ, you just may be rejected. Now, our group was a big group at first. But as each person found someone to talk to, the group got smaller and smaller and smaller. Until I found myself just with a couple middle school guys walking down the street by ourselves. And it wasn't supposed to be that way. We were supposed to be a big group. Because as Lewis said, it was a pretty dangerous area. Robberies would happen and things, and it, it would just happen. It was a, just a way of life. As we were walking down the street, we met this individual and his name was Henry. Henry, <clears throat> Henry was out uh, doing uh, his laundry. Uh, and I figured, okay, if there's a guy outside doing his laundry, he must be safe, right? So the guys went up to Henry and they said, hey, we'd like to share why we're in your front yard. I, and he's like, okay. He's like, we want to tell you about Jesus. And Henry looked at them and said, look, there's no way that Jesus could receive me. Because you don't know what's in my past. You don't know what I have done in my past. There's no way that Jesus can receive me. And without hesitation, the boys put into practice what they learned. And they said, sir, it's not about what you've done or your works. It's about your heart. It's about Jesus wanting your heart. I'm like, wow. Like, they're on cue. Like, I could have said it even more simpler than, than they. And their fear, they were, they were kind of scared going up to this guy. Their fear melted away. You know what? When you start sharing the gospel, you may be afraid. But I want you to know, you don't do it in your own strength, right? We're not to do any of this Christian walk in our own strength. We're to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the power of the Holy Spirit hits you, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that is, that is bringing out the words from your mouth. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that is make, making obedience and is activating whatever God wants to do through you to make it possible. And that's exactly what happened in these young boys. They said, sir, it's not about what you've done. It's about your heart. Jesus paid it all. But the man was unmoved and he told us to follow him. He went away from his front yard and he went to his car. And I kind of got nervous. When you go into a car and he's going to a glove compartment, I'm like, what is he going to pull out? And he got out of his car and he pulled out a 40 ounce of booze. He cracked it open and he began to drink it. And he said, this is my hope. This is what my life is all about. And he began to get agitated. He began to drink it, get agitated. And we, we figured, okay, this might be where we need to exit. So we started to walk down the street back towards the church where the conference was being held. 
And Henry walked with us, with his 40. And he, be, and he was agitated. Why would Jesus want to receive me? I don't understand this. And, and, and he began to look at me and smile at me. He's like, he's like what, 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 what are you doing here? And I was getting nervous. As he was smiling with, with agitation, he began to ask me questions. And he said, hey, you know what? And if someone asks you, you know what? You ask or you respond with, what? You know what? What? He's like, I talk to God all the time. I said, oh, that's great that you talk to God all the time. Yep. I talk to God all the time, and if he tells me that he, I'm going to kill you right now, I'll kill you right now. And I thought, okay, this just got weird and awkward right now. So I'm like, okay. Uh, and I was like, how do, you re- what do you, how do you respond to that, right? How do you respond to something that crazy? Can't call 911, right? And so I'm like, what do you do? And so I'm, I knew what I wanted to say. You know when Nick, you have something in your mind that you want to say, but it's not what comes out of your mouth, all right? I wanted to say, hey, have a good day, Henry. See you later, right? But no, that's not what came out. Because remember, if you're doing ministry and the Holy Spirit's taking over, sometimes things happen a bit differently than you, than you planned. And so I had this idea in my head, but the words that came out of my mouth were very, very differently. He just said that he, if he prayed to God and he told, God told him that he wanted to kill me, he'd kill me, right? So what shouldn't you ask him? Do you want to pray? And that's exactly what came out of my mouth. I said, Henry, would you like to pray? I'm like, what just came out of my mouth? He's like, yes, I would like to pray. I'm like, oh, this is how it ends, all right? Then I asked him, what would you like to pray about? And he said, I'd like to, he held up his booze, and he said, I'd like to get away from this and smoking. I thought, let's pray about it right now. So he sat it down, and we prayed. When we were done praying, I said, Henry, I know through the power of God that you can put down this booze forever. But you need something before this will ever happen. You need Jesus. Jesus, you need to receive Jesus. You don't need to clean your life up right now. You need Jesus. And Henry, this is his stumbling block. He goes, no, I have to clean my life up first. I have to do work before Jesus would ever receive me. We tried telling him differently, but it was his stumbling block. He believed that he had to be good to receive the goodness of Jesus And this is indeed the stumbling block. Man, I wish that story ended differently, right? But this is what we're going to talk about today, is faith alone. Faith alone in Christ is the stumbling block for all of humanity. Faith alone, it's it's natural for humanity to think that our past disqualifies us from the grace of God. Uh, or to have, or that we have something to offer to make ourselves right before God. We naturally think that if I get my life together, then I can get God. Or if I have a family background with God, then I can have God. Uh, I have God already, and there's no need for me to receive Jesus or forgiveness. And this is not a new problem. This was exactly the problem of God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 9. We are in chapter 10 today. Let's go back to Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Uh, before we get to chapter 10, and Paul begins to address this very problem. We, this, our stumbling block is faith in Christ. Our stumbling block is we think that we have to prove something to God or we have to have it all together before we can get to God. But Paul wants to say otherwise. Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then, Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, namely the righteousness that comes from faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, and as it's written, look, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over, and the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. Faith in Christ alone is the stumbling block for humanity. We want to have faith. We want to have faith specifically in ourselves or something else. We like it our way, and we naturally want to take the credit. We want to take the credit. We want to do it our own way. Last week we talked about about how Jesus Christ, how God specifically, is fully in control. Yet we have the personal responsibility to place our faith and trust in Jesus. As adults, we like to tell God that we can do it ourselves. The grace of Jesus is a stumbling block to all because the cross of Jesus tells us we can't do it ourselves we're helpless left ourselves we we need the rescue of jesus we need his favor we need to receive it not by merit but by faith 
So this dual reality of God's sovereignty and human responsibility, God's requirement for faith is no way a contradiction towards God being completely sovereign and in control. Uh, we, we, in our minds, we like to make this tension something more than what it really is. You see, the Bible affirms that he's king, he's in control, uh, and that salvation is from him alone. Yet the Bible tells us that we have a responsibility in order to receive this forgiveness. We must place our faith and trust in him alone, in Christ alone. And we have a responsibility to tell others about this gospel. He's sovereign. We're responsible. It seems like a paradox, but it's not. A paradox is a seemingly observed or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. So we have different paradoxes that happen in life that are like, oh yeah, that's kind of true. Let me just share a few lighthearted ones. The show off. You may have had a friend growing up in life and they just like to show off everything that they could do. The show off. The more you try to impress people, here's the paradox, the less they'll impress they will be, all right? The more that you try to impress people, the less impressed they'll be. How about learning? Isn't this true about learning? The paradox of learning. The more you learn, the less you realize that you know, all right? Connectedness. We, in this study upon study of social media has shown this. Connectedness. The more connected we get, the more isolated we feel. The paradox of choice. It's called the old paradox of choice. The choices you have, the more choices you have, the less satisfied you are with each one. So if you literally have 50 choices and you're like, like this, like ice cream shops, I am never, ever satisfied with my choice, right? I'm like, okay, I want, uh, I want uh, the coffee, mocha, and uh, some Rocky Road, okay? Oh, man, I wish I, had a, I wish I had that shake, right? I'm never happy. And some of you are like, that's why I get three. Knock yourself out, all right? Maybe it'll help, maybe it won't, I don't know. Paradoxes, paradoxes. And let's talk about a theological paradox, a scientific paradox. Uh, it's one that I think has been brought to the forefront because of the web telescope images that just came out. They, they said literally uh, these pictures are 100, hundreds of thousands of years just prior to what they call the Big Bang, all right? Uh, I have issue with the, the Big Bang. It's a theory. We treat it as if it's not, but it is. And so, uh, but again, no matter what, no matter what science persuasion that you come from, the Webb telescope was amazing, wasn't it? Just seeing the glory of God. The Bible says that God knows every single one of those stars. Some of these stars were seen in galaxies, were seen for the first time. Guess who knew who they, they were there? God knew, and he knows their name. Not one of them's missing. But again, uh, the Big Bang has been put back on the radar for many people because of these images and I just think this is the paradox. Let's take the Big Bang Theory, for instance. The Big Bang Theory is, boom, everything, everything in singularity exploded, and now it's moving in motion uh, in space. And my question is, where did the matter come from? What was before the Big Bang? Now, you ask some people, well, the matter was eternal. Really? That's eternal? Why wouldn't you believe in eternal God then? Or, or if the matter wasn't eternal, it just self-created, okay? Again, this is a paradox. How is there something from nothing? So life is full of paradoxes, and it just means this. We have an almighty God who, when he spoke in Genesis chapter 1, right, boom, it happened, right? And the thing is this. We have an almighty God who's all-powerful, he's all in control, and we have a finite mind where sometimes we get the blue screen of death. Sometimes we get that Mac beach ball. Sometimes we're like, huh? Right? If we knew everything about God, we can explain everything about God, we, that means we have shrunk God to our full human understanding. Listen, here's the deal. We serve and worship an amazing God who is way beyond our understanding, way beyond our comprehension, and that brings us to awe and worship. So if God is both sovereign and we are responsible, it seems like a paradox, but it isn't. It just shows how finite our minds are. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, the hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever so that we may follow our words of the law. The Bible was not written so that we know everything. It was written so that we can know how to be in right relationship with God. Heaven's going to be amazing because we get to know way more than we get to know right now. So we can rest assured knowing that salvation is from God alone and not our own doing and that we need to take heed that our responsibility is to receive the salvation that is from Christ by faith alone. Now notice in chapter 9, verse 31 and 32, Israel tried to achieve salvation and righteousness, not through faith, but by pursuing it 
to the law of the works, to works of the law. Now that word pursue, as you can see in the text, it means to run swiftly or earnestly desiring something. They earnestly desired uh, to be righteous, but they didn't earnestly desire to be righteous through God. Rather, they earnestly to be de desired to be righteous through themselves. And this is the definition of self-righteousness. It is trying to gain your own righteousness apart from the righteousness of Jesus. They had faith, but their faith was in the wrong, wrong object. It wasn't in God. Their faith was in themselves. This is the great stumbling block. It's not that we don't have faith. We have faith, but often in the wrong objects, and we elevate things that should be never elevated to the point where they become gods to us. The great stumbling block to salvation is our pride. When we go about life and salvation, apart from Christ, uh, whether we put, place our faith in our possessions, our relationships, uh, doing things uh, for, for the good of hopefully that God will notice, when we're doing these things, we are not doing it in faith, we're doing it in a heart of works. Whenever you're pursuing uh, God apart from Christ and placing anything above Christ, your de facto faith is in whenever you're pursuing. What are you placing your faith in? Are you placing your faith in that you're good? Are you placing your faith in in your, your goodness? Are you placing your faith in in your experience or, or just enjoying life? What are you placing your faith in? Because the Bible says that every single one of us needs Jesus. It's not an opinion. It's not just another option. It is the solution, the only solution, that we need Jesus. And to receive Jesus, you need to have faith in him alone. And make no mistake, though, your faith is only made possible because of the grace of God alone. Faith without grace becomes a work. Mm, I'm going to muster up enough faith. Mm, that could become a work. The only way that you can have faith to begin with is the good favor of Jesus Christ going to the cross, making you a way, the way, the truth, and the life through Jesus Christ. So here's our main idea this morning. Your faith, it's about faith, faith alone. Your faith needs his grace. Your faith needs his grace. And I want to unpack two categories uh, this morning from our main idea. Two categories. One is a category of false assurance. Why a lot of people this morning think they're good in life or they think they're good with God, but it's a false assurance. That's category number one. Category number two, I want to talk about true assurance. Uh, people that you can know. People think, I've heard people say, I don't know if you can really know if you have a relationship uh, with Jesus or with God. I just don't know if you can know. And some churches teach that. A lot of rural religions teach that. But the Bible teaches you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So your faith needs his grace. Two, two uh, pericopes this morning, false assurance and true assurance. Let's talk about the false assurance. The false assurance means you think you're right with God with self-produced outward actions or emotions. False assurance. The, number one, what we see in the text this morning of false assurance is self-sincerity. This is zeal not according to knowledge. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. So Paul is talking to the church in Rome, and he's writing about Israel. So his prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I could testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So Paul is speaking of Israel, and they have zeal. Zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Zeal, this can be translated, some of your translations may say this, as passion, as enthusiasm, as sincerity, and authenticity all right now in some of the feedback we've received from uh, some of our uh, feedback cards in the in the front or on online or through our app is we hear from guest after guest a number of you when you you come here for the first time one of the things that you absolutely love about Kenosha City Church is the passion people bring uh, whether from the stage or in the seats when it comes to praising Jesus or being in his word uh, just just the, the the passionate people we hear this week in and week out in fact, we once had an atheist here that was in service, and, they, and they, their feedback was this. I don't believe in Jesus yet. <laughs> I don't believe in Jesus yet, but I believe I was in a room today full of people that believed in the reality of God, and that was amazing. All right? 
So passion is a powerful thing. It's powerful. Authenticity breaks down walls. Enthusiasm is contagious. And, and zeal, uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. But zeal is powerless and worthless if zeal is being used as a way to get to God, control God, or twist God's arm. We don't pull God down from heaven. The reason why we're, we're passionate, like, okay, God, we want you to notice us this morning. Or, okay, God, I want you to know I'm really, really, really have faith in you. Okay, God, I, I want you to know that, that I'm being real. And I hope that you're seeing by my work of zealousness that you'll accept me. Uh, that zeal doesn't have power. That's a work. We don't pull God down from heaven. Rather, we respond to God and what he's already doing. Zeal is not a way to manipulate God. Zeal must be a response to who God is, not prove to God who we are. Let me say that again. Zeal must be a response to who God is, not prove to God who we are. A big difference. You want to worship Jesus in freedom this morning? You want to worship Jesus? I'll tell you this. It's not about trying to prove yourself to God. It's responding to what Jesus has already done through and for you. And it's a big difference. Now we see here that the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, they had zealousness for God, but not according to knowledge. The Jewish people had knowledge. This is gnosis in the Greek. It's, it's, it's understanding the things of God. The Jewish people understood the law of God. They understood the Old Testament. They understood uh, who Yahweh was and is. But they didn't have a personal epigenosis. That means a personal knowledge. You see, what Paul is saying is, Israel, if they took a test on God, they would ace it. They'd probably do better than all of you, Church of Rome. But here's the deal. You can know a lot of facts about something, but not actually know that something. And that knowing is a personal relationship. And the fatal error was they knew a ton, but didn't know God personally. And as a result, they had a, a, a self-sincerity, a zeal towards God without knowledge. And, you know, today I see this problem of, of this, this self-sincerity, this, this zeal, this, this authenticity. I, I see it play out in, in culture in two ways. The first way I see it played out is, a, is the secular self. It's admitting you're broken and staying broken. So you have the secular self. The, on, the other, on the other extreme is a demonstrating self-righteousness. So you have people today that, that don't go to church, don't, don't want to do the things of God, uh, but they're on this end. And then you have people that are on, that don't want anything about God. And then on this end, you have people that want uh, to, people to understand that they have a relationship with God, uh, but it's all about outward appearances. So secular self, uh, the secular self, admitting you're broken and, and staying broken, this is pursuing your authentic self uh, in a way to where you just stay broken. Something is judged correct if there's passion behind it. If you're passionate, authentic, or sincere, then that's all that matters. You want to be real and authentic, not put on an act. And you know what? Churches, we've been plagued by this. We've been plagued with people walking around like they have it all together. But we don't, do we? We don't have it all together. In fact, that's one of our statements here at Kenosha City Church. We are not perfect people, but we are people made no, thank you. That was thank you. That that's that that was that was an easy. That was a freebie. Yes, that's right. We are made new. We are made new, and so we can stop acting like we're perfect. We can stop acting like that we have it all together. We can stop putting on an act. Right? That's the authenticity that we want, but that doesn't mean we stay where we're at, and that's exactly where the cultural authenticity has led us. The end goal is to stay in our brokenness instead of recognizing our brokenness and pursuing the righteousness of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. Brett McCrane asked this question. By focusing on brokenness, let me quote, end quote, by focusing on our brokenness as a proof of our realness and authenticity, have evangelicals turned being screwed up into a badge of honor, its own sort of works righteousness? Has authenticity become a higher calling than, say, holiness? Our notion of authenticity should not primarily be about affirming each other in our struggles, patting each other on the back as we share about porn struggles or while we enjoy a second round of beers at a local pub Bible study. Rather, authenticity comes when we collectively push each other by grace in the direction of Christ-likeness. And so it is important that we are authentic, that we are being real in church, but we should always be going a direction that is pointing us to Christ-likeness, not just be about, oh, we're broken. So that I would call the secular self, where we just stay the same. That's one degree of where we see 
people being zealous. The other degree is self-righteous zeal. This is the other end of the spectrum. This is uh, the passion, the outward expression at the expense of the inward change in religious services or, or, uh, or religious activity. For us, it could be passion for God's word. Uh, it could be passion in worship. It could be raising your hands during, uh, during worship. It could be dancing. It could be speaking in tongues. You name it. What happens is people often gauge their outward expression as a way to show how close they are and how mature they are uh, in Christ. And I got a question for you. Do you think that when we are absolutely bonkers in our passion, do you think that impresses God? No, it's not. It does not impress God at all. In fact, in fact 1 Corinthians 13 says this. Paul speaking to the church of Corinth, which they were very outward, but yet inside they were pretty bankrupt. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I speak a human or angelic tongues who do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith that I can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give away my body in order to be burned in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Our passions don't impress people. In fact, I remember there was this, growing up in my church in Iowa, there was this one person, they would come in and they would just, they were like the most passionate person. I mean, they would worship so hard, they would be sweating, right? It was like an, was like an aerobic activity. And here's the thing. Uh, we are for free expression and freedom in worship here. Don't get me wrong. We are. Uh, but listen, the way that you worship might not be the way that somebody else worships in this room because it's about freedom. It's about responding to who God is. But when we make it about some kind of pursuit of, God, I'm going to show you how awesome uh, I am in my, you know, in, in my religiosity to you, we miss the whole point. That's not freedom. Or this one person, they would worship so hard, they were literally a sweaty mess. But here's the deal. It's not what happened in the worship service. It, what, it's what happened in the lobby before and after. They would scream at people. They would be angry at people. They would cry at people because they were hurt. They would scream at their spouse. And then when they went into worship, it was just absolutely mind-boggling. It's like, what? I, don't, I don't understand how this person in the lobby, coming in the sanctuary, coming in the worship center, somebody must have expelled a demon or something, right? How could this be here, but it's like that out in the lobby? And that's what happens when we are outward, but we're not allowing God to change our inward. Our passions don't impress God. It doesn't make you better than others. And if you're passionate, it's because you love God. You love God. And if you love God, you love others. Your passion is only as good as the object of your zeal, Jesus Christ, and your obedience to him. And so we definitely encourage you to give God exuberant praise here at Kenosha City Church. But we want you to make sure this. It's not to show off, and it's not to show off to others or to God. It's because we have been made free through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you're made free in the blood of Jesus Christ, when your, debt's, when your debt is paid, it's better than anything you can receive in life. And so it's okay to get a little rowdy during worship. Amen? Now, the Jewish people, they had zeal in worship, but, they didn't, but this didn't take them to the next level. I can imagine the Jewish people were walking around in society thinking, yep, we're better. We're just better than everybody. We're next level. We know all of the Old Testament, and then we have, uh, we have uh, extra teachings from our rabbis. We're just, we're just better. But listen, it didn't take them to the next level. It actually took them to a very bad place. It doesn't fool God. Passion, zeal, and authenticity should, be, should not be, rather, a cover for not getting your heart right towards others and God. The people of Israel had zeal for the law, zeal for worship, zeal for what they understood about God. But the fatal error was what we see here from Paul in chapter 10. It was not according to the knowledge of God. Now notice something else. Let's go back to verse 1 real quick. So we see that Israel is zealous, but not according to knowledge, not according to faith. But we see Paul's heart for those that are in error. And this needs to be our heart too. Verse 1, we see that Paul prays for Israel. He prays for those that are rejecting Jesus, specifically for the nation of Israel that is persecuting him. Paul understands that as a follower of Christ, we must pray for those that are rejecting Christ, even when we're being persecuted. Now, that word used for prayer, it's an interesting word. It, 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 it translates, yes, prayer is the correct translation, but we miss it in English a bit. This is a word where we hardcore pursue. This is one where we put all our oomph into it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that when you pray, you kind of give up in prayer, don't you? You're just like, okay, God, I've prayed this 35 times. Here you go. Just throwing it up, throwing it up in the air. Hopefully he catches, right? But Paul's like, uh-uh, look. 
Israel's rejected God over and over and over again. And he's not just throwing a prayer up. He's throwing a prayer up knowing, God, I know when I go to you before this. I know you can actually do something about it. This is something that puts us on notice in our prayer life. And as we pursue God and as we pursue others with the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we go to prayer, know you are not just speaking in thin air. You're not like, oh, maybe he'll do it. You're speaking to the God who can do it. You're speaking to the God, uh, you're speaking to the Lord God Almighty who you have bold access to when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that he is able to work miracles. He's able to say yes and amen. And when he doesn't say yes and amen, we know that we can rest in his sovereignty, that he has something way better and way different. We might not understand it, it might break our heart, but we can know that when we stand before him in eternity, that we will get that aha moment and it's going to be beautiful. Listen, you might get that aha moment here on earth, but a lot of us, we're going to have to wait till heaven, but we can rest in his sovereignty that God is still in control, even when he he doesn't do exactly what we want to do, right? He's still in control, and that we can rest in that. And I love seeing how Paul, over and over and over again, these very people that are trying to kill him, he's like, I am praying for their salvation. Often we pray for things, and we just throw it up and give it up. Here's the deal. You need to do things in faith, and your faith needs his grace. So the false assurance comes from self-sincerity. If you think you're zealous about something, listen, you can be zealous about a whole bunch of different false things. We see zealousness all over this culture with all these different causes and all these different months and, and everything under the sun. And zealousness does not mean it's real. Zealousness does not mean it's right. You're just being zealous. Zealousness, passion, must have the right object. And if it doesn't have the right object, we are fooling ourselves into self-sincerity of our zeal. False assurance comes from self-sincerity. Secondly, it comes from self-righteousness. That is, I am good enough before God. Romans chapter 10, verse 3. Since they are ignorant of righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The Jewish people had a zeal that was without knowledge, a personal, that is a personal relationship with God. They knew things about God. Uh, but they didn't personally know him, and that led to them trying to pursue God by themselves. This is the very definition of self-righteousness. A self-righteous person believes they can produce something that's good enough for God, that you can produce your own righteousness. You know, I was speaking at a conference, and I was being introduced by an MC, and I'd only known this MC for about a whopping 15 minutes. He didn't know who I was. I didn't really know who he was. He only knew anything about me because he had a three by five card that I wrote information down. He got my name wrong. He called my kids by the wrong name. And yet he called me one of his best friends. That kind of felt nice. My best friend, Andy's here to speak. I'm like, all right. And then I realized he said about everybody. So anyway, I didn't know if it was a joke or he's just super nice. This guy knew some stuff about me, but he didn't know me. He didn't know me. And that's how it can be with God. We can know a bunch without knowing Jesus in a personal way without living a life of obedience and reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we can know, but not know. And if you know, but you don't know, then you are not living by faith. And a lack of knowledge will lead to a lack of faith. Romans chapter 9, verse 31 again. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved this righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. Israel didn't know God because they tried to get to God by their own self-righteousness. And this is the way it is with every world religion. Every real religion besides following Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ and we did on the cross for you, it's based on yourself. It's based on your works, how you're trying to achieve getting to the Lord God Almighty. We see this in Islam. In Islam, they believe that salvation, meaning the reward in the afterlife, is only achieved the absolute obedience to Allah, the Quran, and the five pillars of Islam. Uh, in, in Hinduism, uh, to the Hindu, salvation is breaking free from reincarnation, from the karma cycle, and becoming one with the Brahma bowl. In the Buddhist, uh, more, I would say, philosophy, uh, Buddhists believe salvation is the self-effort only through the four noble truths. Jehovah Witness, which Jehovah Witness would claim to be Christian, we would call it a false offshoot of Christianity. Jehovah Witnesses, they believe that salvation is granted to those who have a, com a combination of faith and good works as defined by the Watchtower organization. Mormons, they believe salvation is defined as being physically resurrected. By the way, Mormons, another 
Christianity offshoot that we would call false. Uh, it, the Mormons believe salvation is defined as being physically resurrected and exalted to the, uh, God, to the Godhead. That means they become God. People are saved by trusting in Christ and doing good works as defined by the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine of the Covenants. So the book, by the way, the Book of Mormon uh, is combined with the Doctrine of Covenants. It's about this thick. But over the years, it gets thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker because in Mormonism, they have apostles. And what the apostle says, they put into the Doctrine of Covenants, which means it's an open Bible for them. Uh, it, the, the last edition was in 2016. Again, we learned in the book of Revelation, the last verse, it said, do not add uh, to Scripture. If you add or take away, you add or take away the curses, right? And so, uh, again, we see more, uh, Mormonism. Uh, not only do you have to be good, but they are continually adding to the Bible, uh, which makes it a cult. For the religious Christian, this could be anybody in a church that doesn't preach Christ alone. For the religious person, this person believes that salvation is earned by believing and behaving the right way towards Jesus. They are not 100% sure that they'll make it to heaven, but they hope that their good deeds will outweigh the bad ones when God comes to judge them. And then finally, we have a, an emerging uh, threat, I would say, to Christianity, another offshoot. It's called the woke progressive Christianity. This person believes that salvation is also earned by believing and behaving the right way as in line with current secular cultural trends. The mantra of woke progressive Christianity is we can do better. Like seriously, have you ever seen those, have you ever seen those posts? Those posts like yeah, blah, 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 blah. Seriously, we can do better. Anyway, so you hear that, that's, that's anyway, yeah, that's the mantra. All these world religions have something in common, whether it be uh, Islam, uh, Buddhism, or Mormonism, or religious Christianity, or woke Christianity. It is work, 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 work. I'll get to God through my good works. And when you place your faith in what you do instead of what God does, you walk around literally self-righteous. And if you're self-righteous, then you're self-saving and no need of a savior because you thought you have saved yourself. But how can you save yourself? You can't. Paul reminded us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Trying to get God through works, it's, it's an imposter. It's an imposter. You remember when the Impossible Burger came out? Remember that? Someone, yeah, someone made, rightfully made a, a, a puke noise. No judgment. How many of you love the Impossible Meats, all right? Anybody love the Impossible Meats? <laughs> Some of you are afraid to say, nobody? Come on, come on. Someone's strong. Like, I love it. I love it. Okay. You're awesome. All right, so he's awesome because he's being honest. I'm sorry about the Impossible Meat. Yeah, and the Impossible Meat. I, I remember when it first came out, everybody's like, it, it tastes like the same. I was like, really? It's, it's, it tastes the same. It's, it's, it's plant-based, no meat, but it tastes like meat, says the person that never eats meat, all right? Uh, now, no, this isn't against any vegetarians there. I know we have vegetarians and everything else in between here. Uh, no judgment, all right? I'm just judging the Impossible Burger, okay? It's not a person, all right? So, but some people, they claim it tastes the same. And we can all pretend. We can all pretend. But, you know, what people do is they, they get the bun. They get the cheese. They get the ketchup. Then they get what looks like a hamburger patty, and they put it on a real grill, and they put it together. And they said, look, it looks real. Real toppings put on a real grill to make a fake burger. Works-based approach to God is just like that, the Impossible Burger. It's impossible, and it's fake. No matter how much you dress it up, a gospel that includes works is not the gospel. It is not good news. You're trying to do something you're incapable of doing. And nobody likes self-righteousness. No one likes being around a self-righteous person. And God is not fooled by our own self-righteousness. And we fall into it, don't we? Every single one of us, we, we fall into trying to be good enough or prove ourselves to somebody else. It's okay. You can go ahead and say you're sorry to Jesus. I'll say I'm sorry to Jesus when I do it too, right? Uh, we're recovering workaholics to the Lord. But listen, we need God's grace, the grace of Jesus Christ, every single day. Your faith needs his grace, but when we try to add to faith and grace, you get a false assurance, and it leads to the, the third uh, thing that happens when you have false assurance, and that is self-sufficiency. You feel like you don't need anything, right? Uh, you're self-sincere. You have that zeal for life. You have self-righteousness. I'm doing the right things, and it leads you to self-sufficiency. I can do it all. I feel good about myself. 
Romans chapter 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about righteousness, that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. If you think you can follow the law by works, if you think doing good is the sum total of life, and you will provide whatever, you'll provide whatever salvation you believe. You'll have no reason to believe on God, but rely on yourself. And we have an epidemic of even Christians who are so self-focused that we forget that church isn't about us. Did you know that? Church isn't about us. Church isn't being cute. Church isn't coming up with something new. Church isn't about, oh, did you hear what I, the latest thing that I said? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the Lord God Almighty, namely Jesus Christ, Savior of all, where every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This church, and any church that matter, should be about Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And if the cross of Christ is not the center of it, then the church should go out of business. There's plenty of churches that want to do things through self-reliance, that want to do things through self-righteousness and self-zeal. It's the majority of churches today. If you leave the word of God, if you leave the gospel, which is the answer to everything, we have nothing. And if Kenosha City Church ever went that direction, where we quit preaching the gospel, we quit preaching out of God's word, leave this church immediately. Immediately, but listen. We, as long as this church exists, will preach the gospel. We, as long as this church exists, will preach from the word of God. And we, as long as this church exists, will rely on the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit will fill us to build the church up through his gifts. Amen? So, we fall into this. Church isn't to be a holy huddle to prove to God how religious and devoted we are. We're a hospital. We're a hospital for the sick. To be sent out in the world, period. I know people want to redefine the mission of, of the church. But what, what happens is when you redefine the mission of the church away from sharing the gospel and growing in the gospel, you just have another 501c3. You can start a 501c3. Just don't call it a church. Kenosha City Church is not Kenosha All About Me Church or Kenosha Club Church. Or Kenosha, hunker down until Jesus comes back, church. We're all about Jesus to reach this city, period. And we are not self-sufficient. We must be Jesus-dependent and do all what he says by the power of the Holy Spirit. Inside of all of our hearts is, though, we want our independence. I'm, I am thankful for this country that we have independence. I'm thankful for this country that we have the freedom uh, to worship Jesus Christ each and every day without hindrance. Uh, of, of, of people stopping the gospel from going out. I am, I am very thankful for what God has done in this country, but we've got to know we are kingdom citizens before our citizenship in America. We understand that. But in our hearts, and sometimes in a free nation, uh, we, will be, we will struggle with this just a bit more if, if somebody is not free, is that we will struggle with our own personal independence. Moses said in verse 5, that the one who lives by the law, if you're trying to create your own, I'm going to do it my way, you'll live by the law. You know, if we are going to live this life thinking we don't need Christ, specifically if we think that we can get to Christ through our works, there are a number of laws, a number of books with pages and pages and pages of laws that none of us can keep. But let's reduce this. The reason why we are not self-sufficient, let's reduce it to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Let's take a look at them real quick. That's found uh, in, in Exodus. The first commandment is, uh, so let's take a test. If you think you don't need the gospel this morning because you can get there through your own righteousness, let's go through every single one of the Ten Commandments. I want you to actually, if you have a piece of paper or your notepad or whatever, just take a little test. Take a test and see how am I doing with the Ten Commandments. Because, you know, there was someone that went up to Jesus in the Gospels and he said, I followed all of these, right? So let's just see. Number one. You shall have no other gods before me. All right? Have you ever placed anything above God? I know I have. All right? Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Now, this is one I thought, I've never bought an idol, right? I've never crafted an idol out of stone. Well, guess what? Uh, if you've placed anything above God, that's called an idol. All right? So how are we doing? How are we doing? All right? You ready? Number three, is, is some people, like, you're acing it so far. Okay, number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Uh-oh, how many people said OMG this week, all right? 
So that's a biggie. That's number three. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, oh, oops, did, did some of us forget church so one week? Did some of us forget to set aside time with God? Uh, number five, honor your father and your mother. Did you ever dishonor your father and mother? Okay, there's, that's number five. Number six, you shall not commit murder. Somebody like, aha, here's one I kept. Jesus said, even if you harbor bitterness towards somebody in your heart, that's murder, all right? Number, number uh, seven, you should not commit adultery. Jesus said, even if you looked at someone with lustful intent, you've committed adultery. Number eight, you should not steal. Number nine, you should not give false testimony against your neighbor. And number 10, you shall not covet. I don't know about you, but I am guessing, I'll bet a stick of gum, because I'm not a, a betting person, that we've all failed all 10 of them. And that is why we need a savior. James 2.10 says, okay, what if he just kept one? Like, I've never stole anything, okay? James 2.10 has an answer for that. For whoever keeps the entire law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. We need a savior. So this is our answer. It is Christ alone by faith alone. This is our real assurance real quickly because this is the gospel number one, faith alone, Romans 10, 6. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Faith is not reaching up to heaven and proving your zealousness or deep in your heart proving that you can obey uh, unbelief tries to prove, faith says, Jesus, you did it all, and I'm incapable of doing anything at all. There's a big difference. You're not saved by anything you do. You must place your faith and trust in Christ alone. Faith alone. Number two, real assurance is Christ alone. Romans 10, 8. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that this is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is not getting it all together before you get to Christ. Salvation is now. In fact, Paul says it's in your mouth. Just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Nothing, not a zip after that. Believe in Jesus and you are saved. Christ plus nothing. No self, no woke, no works, no Allah, no Joseph Smith, no Buddha. Christ plus nothing. No matter your past, no matter what's going on in your present, no matter what is happening in your life, no matter what, it seems like it's whatever is overtaking you, Jesus paid it all. He saw it all on the cross. So tell him. Tell him right now you need him. It's in Christ alone. Third, to have real assurance, true assurance, is grace alone. Romans 10, 10 through 13. One who believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one who confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on his name. Who does he richly bless who places their faith and trust in Jesus? What's the Bible say? All. Let's say that together. One, two, three. All. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not by your works, but by his grace. Did you know last week it was free Slurpee Day? How many got a free Slurpee, a free Slurpee day? Did anybody know about it, right? I think Brandon came in with the cup. I saw some of my friends on social media. I had some friends freaking out. They were literally standing outside the 7-Eleven in now Speedway, and they were like, free Slurpees, free Slurpees. They were just like wheeling people in to the 7-Eleven. Free Slurpees, get your free Slurpees. And I'm like, look at that, it's free. You know, there, there's nothing that you have to do. All you have to do is just show up and receive. And it reminded me, guess what? Free Slurpees we go crazy about, but I think we should go crazy about the free grace, the free gift of Jesus Christ for anyone and everyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved, not by works, so that anyone may boast. What I want to do is this, I want to land. I want to land in this, knowing that it's by faith alone, Christ alone. Some of you, if you have a theological background, it sounds like what we call the five solas. The five solas, let's go ahead and put those up there if we can. The five solas is this. It's what differentiated when Martin Luther split off from the Catholics. Uh, it, it's, it's, what, it's what differentiated uh, when uh, the reformers got away from Catholicism, which said you must get to God 
do different works. And listen, I'd say over a majority of Kenosha City Church, we have a Catholic background. But the beauty is this, knowing that you don't need a priest. You don't need to go through somebody. You can get direct access to the Lord God Almighty. And these are the things that we can test ourselves and test our hearts this morning if we're really making it about faith alone. Faith alone. Where are you living by words? Where are you trying to prove God, yourself to God? Christ alone. Are you living for someone else more than Christ? Are you living for somebody that is, you, that is providing you that satisfaction and salvation? Grace alone. Where does legalism creep into your life where you feel like you need to do a certain something for you, to be, for you to be able to be a recipient of the grace that is the favor of God? Two others. Scripture alone. Where do you look for authority beyond Scripture? Are you in the Scriptures? Do you believe the Bible is really God's Word? It is God's Word. If you want to know the will of God, you've got to be in the Word of God. And finally, glory alone. Where in life bring shame toward, shame toward Jesus? Because, listen, here's the sine qua non. Here's the bottom line of our life bring God fame, to bring God glory. Take a picture of that, write that down, kind of, kind of let that uh, marinate a bit this week. But where in your life are you not living by faith, Christ, grace, scripture, or glory alone? Father, we love you and we thank you so much for who you are. We're so thankful for every person that is in this room that is encountering your voice right now as you meet with them. So God, I pray you meet with them. Speak to them. And Father, I pray if there's anybody in this room right now that doesn't know you as Savior, that they would place their faith and trust in you alone right now. They would realize it's not about works. It's not about trying hard enough. It's not about what's in their past. It's receiving what you've already done for them. Jesus, you came 2,000 years ago to die on a cross, to stand in our place, to take our sin debt in full. You rose from the dead because you were a perfect sacrifice. And our response is to receive you. So Lord, I pray there'd be people in this room right now saying, Jesus, I receive you. I want to place my faith and trust in you alone. And maybe that's you, just as we continue to pray with every head's bowed and eyes closed. If today you're saying, I want to receive Jesus. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. I've been, I've been relying on works. I've been relying on my family past. I've been relying on something other than a personal relationship with Jesus. Today you're going to go from knowing things about Jesus and making Jesus personal. So if that's you, today you wanna to make Jesus personal, you're asking him to forgive you, you're placing your faith and trust in him alone, what he did for you on the cross, paying for your sins. If that's you, you want Jesus to enter into your life right now. On the count of three, raise that hand up high. Just indicate what God is doing in your heart. One, two, three, raise that hand up high and say, yeah, I wanna place my faith and trust, thank you. My faith and trust in him alone. Anybody else? Awesome, awesome. Father, thank you for those that are saying yes to you in this room today. Thank you, God, for those that are realizing we no longer have to work uh, to try to prove ourselves to you. We do good things as a response to what you've done. Thank you for your cross. God, I just pray that anybody in this room today, Lord Jesus, that if there's anybody that's being bogged down by trying to prove themselves to you, God, I pray they can live in the freedom that you've already bought for them on the cross. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.